Well, this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about um, religion. It's kind of funny. My degree is actually in religion. That always throws people off. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody, even on a plane. I remember one time I was having a conversation, and somehow it came up, and they said, well, what is your degree in? I said, religion. And they looked at me like, really? Aren't you a Christian? I said, yeah, but we study everything. My degree is actually religion. My emphasis is biblical studies, but my degree is in religion. And you think of that, when, you, when I think of religion, um, it's not always Christianity that pops up in my mind. I mean, I don't know what pops up in your mind, but sometimes, you know, things like, um, things like robes or incense or, I don't know, things like that. Sometimes kind of weird things pop up in my mind when I think about religion. Because I'm not thinking about mine, I'm thinking about other people's religion. But, you know, when I think about what it means to be religious... You know, sometimes people think hypocrisy, but a lot of times what I think about is somebody who's a true believer. You know those types? I mean, they really believe what they believe in. To me, that's what religious is when somebody's completely sold out for something. It's as if that's what they live for. But I, I, remember, I remember years ago, you know, somebody, um, oh, I was even back in college, you know, when I first went to college at a state school, and, and uh, I remember something coming up, and somebody said, oh, don't even ask him, he's religious. I thought, what? I'm not religious. I'm, I'm not religious because to me, religion meant following a bunch of forms and rules that didn't have meaning in them. That's what it meant to me, as if you blindly followed this formula. But for other people, that's what they thought about religion. I think about uh, religious fervor. You know people like that? Do you know anybody? And I'm not trying to be offensive. If you're one of these families, I don't, I'm not disrespecting you. I'm just saying, you know anybody who's like a sports is their religion? Like their kids are in every, every, every sport. When we first moved to Minnesota, Minnesota is a different culture than here, obviously. I mean, it's a lot, it's six hours north or whatever. But, you know, I grew up in San Diego. And in San Diego, it seems like all the parks have a baseball field. Every park. Every school. And then every, and around here, you see a lot of basketball. Up there, every, every single park has a hockey rink. Now, in the summer, it doesn't look like a hockey rink. You may not know what it is. You may wonder, why is that wood you know, that three-inch wood, you know, rail going around the uh, basketball court. That's because it's not a basketball court. It's a hockey court or hockey, a hockey rink. And then in the winter, when it gets cold enough, they just fill it with water and boom, kids are out there playing hockey all the time. So when we first moved to Minnesota, we had this kid in our, in our youth uh, worship band and I kept talking to him about, why can't you make it to practice? So he started telling me his schedule. He was on four hockey teams, four, because in their family, And if you've been to Minnesota or know Minnesotans, that's a religion up there. So when I said, well, maybe you should drop one of those (laughs) and put some effort into this, he just, this is what he said. He goes, oh, I want to drop them all. But my parents, you know, they think this is what I need to do for the rest of my life. And I, I don't even care. I thought, wow, somebody's got a religion going on here. It's more than that. But other people, they have other religions. I mean, for some people, it's their job. Some people, it's politics. Some people, it's recreation. I mean, I... I enjoy a lot of things. I mean, I enjoy hunting and fishing, but then it seems like every time I'm at the sporting goods store or, or even out, you know, I'll run into somebody who I realize, I like it, but they live it. You know what I mean? It's a whole nother level. For them, it's a religion. You know, and you can tell right away when you start talking to them about it, and they eclipse your knowledge on the subject in about five sentences, you know. For some people, it's more than that. For some people, it's a cause that they live for. And you may know people like this or see them on TV or maybe they cross your Facebook feed and, and there's a lot of really important causes out there. And I'm not saying causes are bad, causes are important, but it seems like a lot of people, they're so into it 
And it's almost as if they feel like if they can work hard or show up or do a run or do a walk or pay some money, it makes them feel good whether or not it actually does anything. It's almost like the symbolism of it is more important than the substance of what gets fixed. But the causes become so important. It can be a lot of things. There's a lot of good causes. Whether it can be saving, you know, stray dogs or, or whatever, mosquito nets to some other country. Or, there's great causes, and they're all important. But sometimes that cause can become like a religion that, that outweighs everything in their life. It's almost as if that's the only thing they think about, and they eat, breathe, and think about it day and night. But let me ask you this. If there is a God, and there is, and if he requires certain things of us, and he does, wouldn't it be important to know what he requires? And what's great is he tells us. He does tell us. He tells us exactly what he requires. So we're going to talk for just a few minutes about this short passage in the book of James. And just to give you a little background information, James was the brother of Jesus, and uh, he was an unbeliever at first, and then through the process of the resurrection, and I wish we could hear his whole testimony, because in the scripture, we don't get his testimony. All we know is that at one point in Jesus' ministry, says Jesus and his brothers, or Mary and the brothers are there saying, Jesus, you know, or they want to talk to Jesus, and Jesus kind of says, you know, my family is, is the disciples, and then at another point, they tell him he's crazy, and if you're really this Messiah, you need to go to the festival and show yourself And then we don't see him again until later when he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. That's a miraculous transformation in James. And then not only the head of the church in Jerusalem, he's the one that Paul goes and meets with. Um, We know he presided over the first council. Very, very important figure in early church history. But in the book of James, I love that he is so direct. And for a lot of people, especially if I meet somebody who's very practical Somebody who needs you know, to cut to the chase. They're not really into philosophy or, or theology per se. They want to know the practical Christianity. Point them to James. He tells them how it is. And what he starts off with right here is he says that you can really tell what a person really believes by their feet, their hands, and their mouth. Their feet, their hands, and their mouth. That's how you can tell. So it's not just beliefs, but it's the action that the beliefs produce. Because a system of belief is good, but, but true belief forces action. Somebody put on Facebook, and I copied it today. They said, said, you can say what you think, but you live what you believe. I mean, a lot of us say good things, but what you actually believe is what you end up doing. James puts it like this. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And we all know who that is, don't we? You know somebody in your life who talks a big game, but then they don't live it, right? We all know somebody like that. The hard thing is to look in the mirror and see that a lot of times that's us. So my first question to you this morning is going to be this. Are you actually listening? Are you listening? How many times has your wife said something to you and you're like, what? And she goes, I just told you. (laughs) And you weren't listening. Because something else was going on or you were distracted or for one reason or another you weren't quite tuned in. Or you know what they say, women, you need to know this, it's true. They say that as men age, that there's certain frequencies on the upper end and the lower end that we stop being able to hear. Have you heard this before? And that women's voices a lot of times are tuned into that higher frequency. That's, that's science, I'm just saying. But um, There is a story, um, FDR, there's a story with, with uh, President Roosevelt, FDR, supposedly he was really frustrated with all the state dinners that presidents had to do. And, you know, they'd have all these dignitaries come in. And, I mean, he did serve four terms. I mean, he, was, he, he did a lot of this. 
But the story is that he got really tired of it. And he felt like it was all just pomp and circumstance and nobody was really paying attention. And it was all just whatever. They'd walk through the line and they'd say, oh, great job. Pleased to meet you and whatever. And it didn't matter what he said. So supposedly at one of these dinners, as people were coming through the line, he started saying this. Every time they'd come through, he'd lean over and he'd say, I just killed my grandmother. And he said, everybody that came through would just say, oh, that's great. Good job. They just keep walking. They weren't listening. They were looking past him. They were admiring the decor. They were maybe overwhelmed by the president of the United States or whatever until, until the president of Bolivia came by. And I guess what he said is, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> so you can always tell when someone's listening, you know, they kind of clue into those things. But here's the real question. I mean, um, are you listening? When, when uh, we read that in James and it says you can't just listen to the word, it's assumed that we're going to listen to the word. That's assumed. But a lot of times we have this block and we don't even listen to the word. And, I, and sometimes the block that we have is, 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 is not as obvious as you might think. Sometimes, sometimes it is busyness. And we're just so running back and forth that we're, we're maybe, maybe you are diligent, you use that version Bible app or some other Bible app, or maybe you're, you're, you're using your physical paper Bible and you're reading it every day. But because you're in such a hurry, you just, you're reading quick through, I got to get through this chapter, and then you walk away and it's as if you didn't even read it because you can't even remember two minutes later what you read. You know, that, that happens. Sometimes we need to create a sense of margin and, and time in our life. We need to unplug and actually take time. I heard this wisdom from a minister years ago when I first started in the ministry. They said, um, your, your spiritual life is so important, you need to schedule it into your calendar. And I remember thinking, well, whatever, I don't have any schedule in my calendar anyway. <laughs> no one wanted to talk to me. I mean, it didn't matter. And what happens is things pile in. I mean, if you don't plan your life, something else will. Someone or something else will plan so what this minister said was, you actually need to write it in there and put it as an appointment. And then what will happen is when something else comes and tries to take that time, you go, ah, I got an appointment. They don't need to know what it is. You don't have to say it's with God or be holy like that or whatever. But the truth is, if you don't schedule it in, chances are you won't make time for it. It won't happen because we're just busy. We're inundated with so many things. And, of course, distractions come all the time. And distractions, even when we're trying to listen to the Lord, can be good things. It can be people you care about. It can be important projects. But I really believe this. God wants you to do things for him, but he needs you first. So even if you're doing the work of the Lord and that comes in the way of you having a relationship with him, then you're not doing what is most important. That's more important. But beyond that, I think there's some other things that come in. And I, I, I said last week, and I'm not trying to offend anybody, but... Sometimes this is a good place to be offended. Sometimes I think even in the church, we can have prejudices against what God is trying to say. And I know right away you're thinking, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. We, we live our life a certain way. I heard this quote not too long ago. It said, if things in the Bible don't offend you, then you may be serving your own God and not actually the God of the Bible. Because a lot of times I want it my way. And I think I know what's right. And there's times where I'll read something in Scripture and say, huh, that can't mean that. <laughs> that that's, a, that's going a little over the top here. I don't know about that. Well, anytime that happens, it's right and you're probably wrong. And you need to make some adjustments. Another thing that I find a lot of times is, um, and this, I know this sounds offensive, I'm not trying to be, but sometimes we come, we come to the word and we're a little arrogant. And you may be sitting there saying, what are you talking about, Pastor? Here's what I'm talking about. Sometimes we come and we've heard it so many times 
Maybe a passage of scripture you've read over and over that you don't really listen. Because in your mind, you're like, oh, I could quote this. I know this by heart. Or, or you even skip over it in your reading. Or as you're reading, you're thinking, oh, I know this passage really well. I'm going to go to the next. But God still wants to speak. And what I've found is no matter how many times I read scripture, it still speaks to me. There are times where as I read it, I think, God, how could I have not seen that in all these years? Man, I've been reading the Bible, not always as consistent as I do now, but I mean, I've really been reading the Bible for a long time. I mean, 35, 40 years, right? I'm 50, so I've been reading it a long time. And then you come across a passage, and as you open it, you think, how could I have never seen that before? That's what God does. But a lot of times we're so arrogant about it that we know it all that we skip over it. We don't even let him speak because we think we already know what he's going to say. And that's not true. Let's get to the doing part. I love the doing part. I love it because I feel like, you know, a lot of times the doing is, is what really tells you what people are really about. And you may have heard this, that love is a verb. Uh, serving God, pure religion is a verb. It is. If you're going to actually serve God and do what he says, then it has to be actionable. It has to be something you're doing. And it has to be you do things even when you don't want to, even when it's inconvenient or unpopular or unfair or you're doing it alone or no one's looking. That's, that's true, true, pure religion. That's how it really works. And then he gets real personal here. Pure religion in the tongue. This portion of scripture I have thought about forever because when I was a kid, uh, my biggest thing I got in trouble for was my mouth. Anybody else with me? It was my mouth. There were things, and I look back and I think, what a jerk. My sister's going to be here in two weeks. So do not tell her this, but there were times where I I didn't mean to, but I could say one thing and get her upset. I mean, she would be so mad at me, and it was entertaining, and it was wrong. Anybody else have to eat soap as a kid? I'm just asking. My mom will be here in two weeks, too. You might have to. Who who ate soap? I mentioned this in my youth ministry a few years, years ago, and I was thinking of bar soap, you know, and anybody have a favorite? I liked... I liked Dove, you know, it was that pure one? Not Dove, no, no, that was oily. No, I liked um, Ivory, that's the one I was trying to think of, the 99.9%, because it I didn't leave quite the same taste in your mouth. But, but years later, I mentioned that to a youth group, and you know, and half the youth group's like, that's abuse. And then the other ones are saying, oh, my mom uses liquid soap. Like, oh, that takes it to another level. Woo. Yeah, that would be, I can't even think of that. Just give me chills thinking about that liquid soap, but... I uh, heard this story. I think I heard this from Greg Smith the first time, but I heard the story. It made me laugh. Uh, there's this kid. He works in a grocery store, and as he's setting up the produce, you know, this lady comes up beside him, and she goes, can I buy just a half a head of lettuce? And the kid's like, half a head of lettuce? And I'm sure in his mind, he's thinking, that, that thing's going to go bad, and we're going to waste it. And he goes, why would you do that? God made them whole heads. And then she says, but I've, I've shopped here forever. How can you deny me? And he goes, well, okay, tell you what, I'll, I'll go ask the manager. So he turns from her, and he's walking over to the manager, and he gets to the manager, and he goes, you'll never believe this crazy lady back on aisle three. She actually wants me to, 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 to give her a half a head of lettuce. And the whole time, the manager's like, right there. You know, he's trying to tell him. She followed him. She's hearing all this. So the kid, not missing a beat, goes, and this wonderful, nice lady wants to buy the other half. You know, so, so later in the day, the manager comes to him and says, 
Now, that was one of the best examples of thinking on your feet I think I've ever seen. How did you pick that up? How did you learn that? And he goes, oh, I grew up in Grand Rapids. And if, if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you know they have great hockey teams and ugly women like that. And the manager goes, what? My wife's from Grand Rapids. The kid goes, oh, really? What hockey team she play for? <laughs> you know, just like... <laughs> Oh, the tongue, the mouth. You know, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble or out of trouble, depending on what you can do with that. James says it like this. He says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and this hurts. Your religion is worthless. Worthless. How many have been hurt by something somebody said in church? Or not, not, maybe not in church, but someone from church said, you can raise your hand now. Really, that's it? <laughs> If that's true, and the rest of you have never been hurt, I just want to warn you, it could, well, it might happen. This church is better than most, I'll say that, but the fact is, people do this to each other. But the thing that we need to read in this is, if we do that, our religion is worthless, worthless, worthless. He goes on to say in chapter 3, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Man, that's, that's heavy duty. Heavy, 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 heavy duty. I'm going to leave that up for, for a minute. Your tongue's on fire. Um, when, when we were in Southern California, I worked a lot with the district on planning youth, big youth events, like their camp and you know, um, conventions and that kind of thing. And years ago... Our youth conventions had got large enough where we moved into the Anaheim Convention Center. It was a big move for the youth ministries. because, um, Well, here's why it was such a big move. Because that, that facility was union. And here's the difference. you know, And this is not for or against unions. I'm just saying it's different. Because anytime we needed a chair, we had to find a union employee. And then it cost us 12 bucks to move a chair. So before, we had a team of people who would just move everything. Or, or whatever needed to happen, you know, if we needed to change a mic or whatever. All of it had to be done by union employees. So what happened was we were large enough to need the convention center, but we didn't anticipate all these ad- additional nickel-dime expenses. So it came to a point where, kind of in the middle of convention, I had started hearing this rumor. And, oh, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you. I heard a rumor that a youth pastor had actually snuck his kids into the convention. You know how like maybe some of you did at the theater where someone would go in and pay and then they'd open the door and everybody come in? And I went to the district youth director and I said, Drew, is this true? And he said, yeah, it's true. I said, who is it? <laughs> you know, I wanted to know. I wanted to, and I, I just wanted to explain to the guy, you know how much money we're losing? Do you have any idea what you've just taught your youth, you moron? I mean, I, oh, I'm sorry, that was... Did I say that out loud? Because I didn't mean to say that out loud. And I will, I will to, for the rest of my life, be so impressed with Drew, the district youth director. You know why? He wouldn't tell me. He wouldn't tell me that day. He wouldn't tell me the next week. He wouldn't tell me the next time we met and talked about convention and looked at our, our red line. <laughs> he never would tell me. To this day, he hasn't told me. And I never heard him say one bad thing about anybody. And you know something about district officials? They know a lot of bad stuff about people. It's sad because they got to deal with that. Not one time. So many times in my ministry, in my life, I thought, God, 
make me more like him and less like me. I mean, he, he, he was protecting that person's character and, and really he was protecting me from saying stupid things. And I want to be like that. I want to be the kind of person where people say, he, he can't say a bad word about anybody because our tongue is on fire and I don't need that. You know, your words can kill or they can give life. In that verse about saying it was on fire, it says that it can, it's a world of wickedness corrupting your entire body because sometimes what you say actually corrupts you back. I think there's times where, and I know we all do this, where our, we say things before our mind, my mom used to say something about that, something about engage your mind before the train, leave. I don't remember. I just know I didn't do it up very often. <laughs> and I want to. I know that. My wife tells the kids a lot. I love this. She'll say, taste your words before you spit them out. Consider what you're saying and how it's going to affect the other person. Because as Christians, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be people who, who represent Christ at every level, whether you're angry or upset or, or you need to confront somebody, that's fine. But you've got to do it in the right spirit and the right attitude. Gossip's dangerous. It's an insidious fire. You got to question yourself, is the person I'm telling this to, do they even have the power to do anything about it? Or am I just spreading stories? Your words can build people up or tear people down. I enjoy Facebook mainly because um, it lets me keep up with friends and, and family who I don't always see or have, have a chance to keep up with. And, you know, I love how the church, we use it and we, we share pictures of things going on and you can, you can get to know people. I love that about it. What I don't love about it is so often this happens where somebody will be upset about something and they might, well, they might be upset at a person, but then they'll make this blanket statement. And it's almost like they're saying, you know who you are. But then I always wonder, do you think that's going to work? Because if you really were following Matthew 18, then your motivation would be to, to go and, and renew the relationship and the only way that's going to happen is if you talk to them one-on-one. And then Scripture plainly says, if that doesn't work, take someone with you. And still the motivation is to restore the relationship rather than just, boom, out there for the whole world to see that you're upset about something. Oh, it's frustrating. Ephesians says this. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Everything you say, good and helpful. Everything you say. Everything you say. Moving on. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. You know, we live in a society today, I, I remember visiting orphanages in Mexico and wondering, why don't we have those in the U.S.? Because I don't remember ever seeing an orphanage in the United States, we'd travel to another country to see an orphanage. And then it wasn't until years later I realized, well, there certainly are orphans. Not only that, I feel like through my ministry, God has really showed me that it's broader than that. I mean, a, a single mom in every way is a widow, and that child is an orphan. And there are so many kids around us who are needing, needing to be cared for, and, and, and moms or dads that are, that are single-handedly you know, supporting a family that need our support. What's interesting is this has been a problem with humanity from the beginning. Uh, you familiar with the Code of Hammurabi? I mean, this goes back to the third millennia BC. This is a quote from the, the Code of Hammurabi. Do not oppress the weak 
and that the widow and orphan should get justice. 3000 BC, it had to be written in law. In the Old Testament, there was a special tithe for the orphan and widow. But unfortunately, that doesn't extend through all uh, societies and people groups. And I know in America, because we've inherited a lot of our philosophy and government and all from kind of the Greco-Roman world, you may be surprised to know that in the Greco-Roman world, uh, infanticide was incredibly common. They did that all the time. They saw that as population control. And some very, very famous authors, you know, they, they talked about how great it was. Uh, Seneca, Plato. Sad thing as I was studying this, came across a, a archaeological study where they, they found an ancient sewer in Rome that had been clogged up forever. So they thought, let's dig through this and find out why is this thing, why, what clogged it? Because back in history, they left it clogged. And as you dig, they dig through all the sediment, they found the bodies of hundreds of infants at the bottom of the sewer. <laughs> What's sad about that is in a lot of America, we do the same thing. I mean, we do it differently, but we do the same thing. I believe that adoption and, and fostering is so close to the heart of God because he, he even uses that language in talking about how we're adopted into the body of Christ. I mean, originally, um, you know, God gave his message to the Jews and then expanded out to everybody non-Jewish. And then it talks about how he has adopted us as sons and we've become co-heirs with Christ. He doesn't use that language haphazardly. He uses it on purpose. And really what that should do in us is, is create in us a desire to extend that out to other people who are less fortunate and care for those who can't care for themselves. And in our society today, just speaking here about the United States, I mean, not only do we, do we hear a lot and see a lot about the tragedies and the horrors of abortion, but we kind of have turned over care of the orphan to the state. And I know Joe Michael was up here joking about how the state is not the most fiscally responsible uh, entity in our society. But I, I would add to that, why would we turn the, our care of orphans over to the state? Why not the church? Why wouldn't the church be the one to care for them when they're in their most vulnerable state? Why wouldn't the church be the one? I mean, the state can't give them hope and, and, and the knowledge of who Christ is. The state can't surround them with a family like that. I mean, they try. They're doing their best. But at, at best, it's going to be a secular fix to something that's really a deep spiritual need. So we as a church, we have, we've, happy you could join me up here. Uh, we as a church have decided to make some, make some efforts in uh, moving forward with, with helping more in these areas. We want to be a church that, that doesn't just talk, but we actually do. Now, something we started last, was it last year we started the Care Portal or this year? This year. It was just this year. Um, what, what happened was, there's a great, or, uh, great thing called the Care Portal. This is what the website looks like. And what has happened is we've, we've partnered together with, with lots of other churches, 56, 50, 60 other churches. And whenever, whenever uh, a need comes through the foster care system, that's something they feel like maybe church members could help with, they'll send an email out to this 50 or 60 churches. So I'll get usually five to six of those emails a week, sometimes, it depends. It varies. Sometimes it's one a week. But and then what I do is if you've already signed up to be part of this, I'll forward it out to our mailing list, our email list. And we have 60 some people on that email list. Then what happens is if you see something on there like this last week, 
There was a need for a pack and play and then, then some clothes and that kind of thing because um, the person just didn't have that. And so to keep the, per- the, the child in foster care, they needed those things. So when I sent that out there, someone from the congregation right away said, well, we have a pack and play. And so then I shot it back out to the other churches. And I said, we have a pack and play. If somebody else can provide the other things, another church said, hey, we can provide those other things. So now I'm coordinating with them tomorrow and we'll get that to the family. See how that works? Last week I delivered um, a, a toddler bed and a little set of furniture and some bedding and some pots and pans. And that came from three different families in this congregation. And that change, that's going to change their life. And what's great about it is yeah, we can't respond to every request. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's those things like I mentioned. But what's great is that's going out to countless hundreds of Christians around Jackson County who are responding to those needs when we can. So little plug for that before Happy Talks a little bit. But um, that ministry, if you wanted to be involved in that, all you have to do is you know, let me know, let the church know. You can contact the church on the Facebook or the website or info at crownpointchurch.com is a real easy way, anything like that. But Happy's coming today. We have an event. It, there's actually a, a handout in your bulletin. And so tell us a little bit more about that. Good morning. Um, we have at Crown Point Church done a phenomenal job at level one for the care portal. And that is given your junk, given your stuff. And um, the church is wrapped around our families and the need has been met. And we're ready to jump it up one more scale. We're going to go to level two. And our level two is give of yourself, give your time. And the first phase of that is we're doing a respite care certification training here on August the 2nd from 3 to 6, and there's going to be child care for that. What does respite care look like? What is that? Well, first I'm going to say respite care looks like when your church and your youth group wraps around your 17-year-old and loves on them and shows them how to love others. Keely has had an incredible week this week, and I thank our church and our staff and all of our youth who have used that to wrap around and love her. Not, maybe not everybody knows, but, oh, but Happy, Happy and Danny, they've been taking in foster kids for years and years and years, kind of like the Paulsons have. But, but Keely has been with you for two or three years. Three years. Three years. They've had mm-hmm. Keely with her, and she's in the youth ministry. So she's actually in, uh, on her way back in from Denver. Denver. Yep. But it's that wrap around. It's that love them, show them what Christ is about. And so with this respite training, what does Elsa's respite look like? It looks like taking care of a baby so a parent can go on a date night. It looks like some foster mom has three or four kids, and she just wants to go grocery shopping without her kids. So can you invite those kids to your house to do a play day? Yes, you can. And so when you take this respite training, it just allows the state to look at you process your personal information, make sure that you're safe for our children and that you have an opportunity to love on these other kids. This is phase one of two. The next one we're going to kick off is mentoring and classes. We're going to come within the church and we're going to be able to help teach budgeting classes and mentoring classes and those kind of things. But this is our first one. Awesome. Thank you, Happy. So if you would like to be involved in that and help with that ministry... Uh, there is a training, as Happy mentioned. The flyer's in there. I just wanted to show you this. All you have to do is go to the events tab up on the top of that care portal page. And as you hit events and then you, you, 
you'll see right there, respite certification training. It's at Crown Point Church. And then you scroll down and there's a place right on there online where you can register for that if you're interested. If you're interested. Uh, you mentioned Keely, and I appreciate you bringing that up because she's, she's not here right now. So we're talking about her when she's not here. Don't tell her. We talked about her. But, you know, it's been awesome to see... Um, how her life has changed by this church, just coming around her, like, like Happy mentioned. And there's so many kids that need that so desperately, just like her. Uh, there's, uh, this quote has kind of bothered me all week. I just read it in the beginning of the week. It said, we used to sacrifice ourselves for our children. Now we sacrifice our children for ourselves. In Jackson County, there are 1,200 kids in foster care. That's a lot of kids. Do you know how many people are in church in Jackson County? Of course not. I mean, that's a silly question, isn't it? We're talking thousands of people in church. Really, we could take care of all those kids. Now, those kids are already in care, but I'm just saying if, if we as a church had a heart for this and God called you to it, I'm not saying everybody does it. I'm saying if God calls you to do that, that would be an amazing, amazing ministry. Amazing ministry. Uh, there are 200 kids available for adoption right now in Jackson County. Adoption. I'm just going to plant, just drop that in your heart. The second part of James 127 says this, pure religion refuses to let the world corrupt you. Refuses to let the world corrupt you. That word refuses, that's an act of your will. You choose it. You choose. So many times you talk to people and they act as if they're a victim of circumstance that they couldn't help it. You know people like that? Like things happen and they're like, oh, I couldn't help myself. I just had to, you're like, really? Because you choose. You choose. You choose. I choose whether or not I'm going to let the world corrupt me. A lot of us, we just maybe flirt with the world a little bit here and there, whether it's you know, choices we make or things we allow to come into our mind or our eyes or, or even people or our ears. I mean, we choose that though. You choose. You choose whether you're going to let it corrupt you or not. And God doesn't make you choose it alone. What he does is as you choose it, then he comes alongside and helps you make those right choices. I don't want you to ever get the, the picture that, that God is against us. He's for us at every stage. It's not as if, you know, he and Jesus are sitting up there on the throne. And they're like, ah, oh, look at him. He's struggling to serve us. Let's make it a little harder on him. He doesn't do that. Instead, the picture is more like, more like the uh, prodigal son, and when he starts going home, the father runs to him. That's the God we serve. That's who he is. He wants to help you refuse the corruption. He wants that. But, but we can be honest about the fact, too, that we're surrounded by a world that is corrupted. It is corrupted. I mean, there's a lot of things to fight against. First uh, John says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure and a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and in our possessions. Pure religion refuses that. Pure religion refuses that. So let's review for just a second. Uh, pure religion says that pure religion is a verb, a verb. It's something we do. We actually intend to do it. 
We refuse to be corrupted. We intend, we, we choose to reach out to people who need us. Pure religion tastes its words every moment they come out of our mouth. Every moment they, they taste its words. Pure religion cares for widows and orphans. And I encourage you, it, just take the time to, to sign up for that training or be part of the care portal. That first stage of care portal is great. I know a lot of people in this church have donated finances, have donated a lot of things that, that they had around. And then some of you have said, hey, if you can get it out of my basement, you can have it. And that's great. We'll, we'll do that too. And finally, pure religion is incorruptible, incorruptible. Would the worship team come up? As they're coming, I want to end with one, one verse. It's a very, very familiar verse, as a lot of these have been to you all. But this, um, reading this verse, you know, I've mentioned this before. I grew up with King James, and I use NIV forever. Certain translations, you get very familiar with the wording. And it's almost not, it's not the air familiar it's just the words wash through my mind and they don't hit me as hard so this translation is the new living translation and this is romans chapter 12 verse 2 it says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let god transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know what god's will is for you which is good and pleasing and perfect Would you shut your eyes with me for a minute? I know that you, like me, you want to live this right. And we we want God to change our mind so that we can live more for him. I know we want that. With your eyes closed for a minute, I'm wondering if anybody here has never before asked Christ to come in and, and change them. If you've never done that before, but you would like to do that today, I'll lead you in, just, in a prayer in just a moment. Anybody at all like that? If you just raise your hand really quickly. I'll wait just a minute. Anybody at all? All right, for the rest of us, with your eyes still closed, just to give you that privacy, I'm wondering how many of us would admit today that, that there are times where we've fallen a little short on doing the word. Anybody? Just raise your hand if that's you. Let me ask this next one. This is a little tougher. I've already got my hand up. Uh, how many of you have, have failed with your words? How many of you would say that, um, that you today have felt a, a call and a draw to care for widows and orphans a little more? And then finally... I want us all to to commit to choose to not be corrupted by this world. It is a choice we make. For a lot of us, we need to set up barriers that keep us from, from things that would corrupt us, whether it's attitudes in others or things in our mind or things we see or hear, whatever those things are. Would you stand with me as we pray? As a worship team sings a song here.